0: You'll find chapter 15 of the book of Revelation on page 1,247 of the Bibles that were handed out as he came in. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image, And over the number of its name. They held harps given to them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed.
1: And continuing in chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. (coughs) The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One. You who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the god of heaven because of their pains and their sores but they refused to repent of what they had done the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east then i saw three impure spirits and looked like that looked like frogs and they came out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet they are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible.
2: Thanks, Shani. Thanks, Shanna. Keep your Bibles open. Hello. I'm Colin. I wonder... Have you ever worked with someone or maybe you've got a friend or a relative who's generally okay, but sometimes there's just an aspect of their character that really embarrasses you? You know, maybe, um, or maybe you are that embarrassing person, Stephen, or, or maybe I'm the embarrassing person, Robert. I don't know. But, you know, just somebody who's generally okay, but um, sometimes it really embarrasses you. I, I used to work when I was a newly qualified radiographer, I worked with a guy called Jason, who was generally all right, but we'd have to go out on mobile around, do mobile x-rays on the wards. Um, and Jason was I, was, I was very shy and introverted, as you can imagine. <laughs> I was then. Um, but Jason, he was loud, he was brash, he was in your face. And he'd almost always get into, into, end up getting into arguments with doctors and nurses, sometimes patients even. It's terrible. And I just spent the whole mobile round wishing that the ground would just open up and swallow me. Do you know someone like that? The kind of person that makes you blush when you think about that embarrassing thing you do. Well, I wonder if that's how you feel about God when we come to a passage like we've just had read to us. Uh, A passage that shows us God's wrath. Are you embarrassed that part of who God is is that he judges and punishes. Because this vision from Revelation we're looking at today reckons it's about something great and marvelous, yet it's about God's wrath. Uh, It says that God's righteous acts have been revealed, and then it goes on to tell us about God making festering sores to break out on people, turning seas and rivers to blood, uh, scorching people with the sun, and it's a vision where the apostle Paul uh, sorry John, the Apostle John, hears people sing, Just and true are your ways, but he also sees other people gnawing on their tongues in agony because of their pain. How do we reconcile these things? How can a good God have wrath? Well, today I hope to show you that part of God's goodness, part of what makes God a loving God, a good God, is his wrath. That God's wrath is something to be thankful for. <coughs> Excuse me. Before I go any further, just we speak the English language, but different words mean, have morphed their meaning. And i just talk about that word wrath. Um, so, for example, my first boss at work, Lynn Mooney, she'd love me saying this. We were terrified of her. And if you were ever late or um, you stuffed something up, we talked about incurring the wrath of Lynn Mooney. And we tend to think of wrath like that, don't we? Some sort of anger plus, like there's angry, there's really angry, r- rage, and then there's wrath. Uh, but that's not God's wrath. God's wrath is his determined, settled opposition to sin and evil his determined, settled opposition to sin and evil. So what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that God is unpredictable and he's going to just fly off the handle in, in a rage once his patience has been tested long enough. Now God's wrath is that he can see evil and sin for exactly what they are and will not leave them unpunished. So there's an outline there in your leaflets, um, just to First, quick getting up to speed where we are. So we're in this middle of this series on Revelation. Um, we've seen that Revelation is God's, like a picture book, written to give us clarity, not confusion. It's designed to show Christians the implications of Jesus' victory on the cross um, in all heaven and all earth and all, all of history. It gives us a better idea of what it is we're saved from and what we're saved to. Um, Last week in chapter 14, we saw that there's a great divide. There are those marked with the beast, those remaining in opposition to God, um, going to suffer eternal torment, and those sealed with the name of the Lamb, those saved by Jesus to enjoy peace and glory with God forever. So chapter 15 and 16 we're looking at today is adding another layer, another pancake to the stack, to our picture of what happens when Jesus returns and fills in some detail. You might remember from the other visions we've looked at, um, it's useful to work out your vantage point when you look at these visions, where we're looking from. And today's is there in chapter 15, verses uh, 1 and 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those had been victorious over the beast and its image, and over the number of its name. They held hearts given them by God. This seems to be the perspective of the future, um, with saved Christians after the day of the Lord, looking back on the events leading up to that last day. And did you get a bit of deja vu when we were reading through the passage? Did it seemed familiar? If you have a quick flick back to chapter 8, verse 6, you remember the trumpets. We had similar things. Um, we had um, hail, fire, and blood. But notice the difference. With the trumpets, kept getting that word a third. A third of things were, were burned up or destroyed. But we come back to chapter fifteen, verse one, we're told that these are the last plagues, last because God's wrath is complete. And there in sixteen, verse three. Uh, we see it's every living thing that's affected it. So it's more universal. It's not talking about a third, it's talking about everything. So suddenly, that destruction of a third of everything that seemed so awful and in, in so terrible in the, with the trumpets now looks really merciful. We can see how much God has been holding back, holding back and, and sending these punishments so that, to be merciful, to encourage us. Into repentance. But when we come to today's vision, time's up. The last chance saloon's closed, all bets are off. For those who harden their hearts to Jesus and follow the beast, this final judgment is sent. And the first reaction to this is a song. It's quite a surprising reaction to this news. But the first reaction is a song about what a great judge God is, our first point, a great judge. We'll look at the song itself later, but it's a surprising reaction, isn't it? We're told in verse 3, it's the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Well, what does that mean? Well, we had the song of the Lamb back in chapter 5, verse 9. It's on the screen, so you don't have to flick. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. It's a song of redemption, a song about how Jesus saves us into glory with God forever. And to hear Moses' song, say what well, that's about, you have to go back to Exodus, the Exodus of. Of God's people Israel from slavery in Egypt. Um, in, in Exodus 15, we get this song Israel have just been delivered from the clutches of slavery under Pharaoh. They've gone through the sea. Pharaoh and his army have been drowned in the sea. And Moses sings a song of redemption about how God has acted. He's done things to save them and to make his name known. Uh, and now at the end of time, we've got this new song of redemption. Um, heard about a greater Exodus, the redemption of all those belonging to Jesus from the tyranny of sin and evil. And there's lots of interesting parallels in this passage between uh, Exodus and Revelation. So I've got a chart up, I think. Yep, so we won't get into details, but rough picture, we have got plagues in Exodus, we've got these bowls of wrath. We've got Pharaoh in Exodus, we've got the beast in Revelation. Pharaoh's got magicians, the beast has got false prophets, Israelite slavery, Christian persecution, these um, songs, and tent of witness in the wilderness where Moses is, and in this vision we get the temple in heaven. Well, so what? There's lots of interesting detail things you can pick out in, in Revelation. We know that, we know we're trying to keep looking at the big picture. All this tells us is that we're to understand God's wrath here in Revelation in the same way that who saw him at work in delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt. And back in Exodus, before it all happens, God says this to Moses. He says, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt, and bring the Israelites out of it. See, Exodus showed us what a great judge God is. He wouldn't allow the cruelty and the injustice of Pharaoh to continue. He heard the cry of his people, and yet he gave gave Egypt loads of opportunities to repent and obey. And his judgment corrected Egypt's wrong view, their wrong view that, God is not God. And God's judgments that he sent, the plagues, both dealt with the evil, punished it, and at the same time, redeemed his people from slavery. And so now as we get to this new vision, uh, we see the internal impact of the cross, of Jesus' death on the cross, from the perspective of the end of time. And we see that God's wrath brings to an end all rebellion and evil. He'll no longer allow anyone to deny him his rightful place as God. Yet his judgment, his wrath, poured on Jesus on the cross, it both deals with evil, punishes evil, and at the same time, redeems those who believe and trust in him, redeems them from slavery to sin and death. Judgment and redemption together, justice and mercy, destroying evil, And bringing about salvation to glory. Moving on in chapter 15. We get to verses 7 and 8. And we we found out that this wrath of God must be poured out. It has to happen. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And his temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God. And from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Nobody could be in God's presence, it's saying, until this wrath is carried out. But why? I mean, why can't God just forgive sin? Why can't he just let it go? And it's a big question and I can't answer in a sermon, but I, I'm going to tell you three things that just help us start answering the question, to think it through. Uh, firstly, like we saw in the kids' talk, God's straight and true. He's got, he's got a perfect handle on what evil is. He's perfectly good, perfectly holy. And as such, to be perfectly holy, he must be completely opposed to sin and evil. But we're so steeped in sin, we're so warped and, and biased by it, we, we just really can't see the seriousness of our rebellion. I've got a little um, movie here that just helps us get our head around it. We're heading to the Western Front, World War
0: Two. Now we'll see how these Russians deal with a crack SS division. Hands. Uh, Have courage, my friend. Yeah, uh... Hans, I've just noticed something. These communists are all cowards. (laughs) Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit? They've got skulls on them. (laughs) Hmm? Have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? Uh, I don't, uh... Hans... Are we the baddies?
2: (laughs) So there you go. You've got two SS officers just slowly dawning on them that they're the baddies. Now, we laugh and we find it funny because, from our perspective, it's ridiculous for them not to know that they're the baddies. But this is how we are with our sin, with our own judgment. We're so skewed by our sin that we fail to see the seriousness of our own badness against God until God helps us to see it. And the more we understand the seriousness of our rebellion against God, the more we can understand why he can't let it go unpunished. Uh, Secondly, we feel real outrage, don't we, at injustice. This is... Jill Mear, I think is how you say it. So she was murdered. uh, She was raped and murdered in Melbourne. But how do you feel if you're Jill's husband? Knowing that the man who murdered her should have been in jail. Because the man who murdered Jill had previous convictions, um, 12 previous convictions for violent sexual assault. And he was out on parole and he'd breached his parole and should really have been in prison when he murdered. How do you feel if you're Jill's husband? How do you feel about the man who murdered her? About the people that let him walk free to attack again? We feel raged at that, don't we? We feel the injustice. And yet our experience of evil is tempered by our experience of the goodness of God's common grace to us all. Our experience of evil is mixed in with experience of goodness. And we feel rage against evil whilst committing acts of evil ourselves. So how then must God, who is absolutely pure, absolutely holy, who can see and feel evil in all its unfettered rawness and filth, how must he feel? How does he even hold back from ending it all right now? And thirdly, sin, uh, like Pharaoh, sin is denying God as our creator, denying God as our source of life. We're made to bear God's image in the world. And when we sin, we, we defame God's name. We're saying, God is not God. Um, the other day, Mrs. Speed asked me to put up a video on, on Trinity Bay's Facebook page. She said, I'll lend you my login so you can do it from home. And I thought, I could do anything, couldn't I? I could go on Mrs. Speed's Facebook page and I could send really offensive emails to all her contacts, couldn't I? And I could say, get to like loads of dodgy pages. And if it did, <coughs> if it did, what would she do? Well, she wouldn't just leave it, would she? If, if I'd send it Awful messages to all her friends and contacts. She wouldn't just leave it. She'd want to make her name good again. She'd work hard to retract it all to deal with the consequences. God can't just let his name going on being defamed forever. He is God and his name is above all other names. And he will make it so. So God is a great judge. And let's have a look now at God's great wrath, our second heading, God's great wrath. Now, we could spend ages looking at these different plagues, um, but there are just two main observations I want us to make about them. Firstly, that God's wrath is fair, and secondly, that God's wrath is personal. It's fair and personal. So first of all, God's wrath is fair. If you look with me again at the song in verses um, 15, verses 3 and 4, Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And then over in chapter 16, verses 5 and 5. Uh, Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are are and who were. And then verse 7. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So when everything's out in the open, when everything can be seen for what it really is, and God pours out his wrath, this is the song that will be sung. Uh, It's like the independent auditor's review is back in. And it says, God acting on his wrath is right, it's true, it's just. And not only that, it's not only just and true, it's great. It's marvellous. Because of God's wrath being poured out, uh, nations will come and worship God. So purely fair and just will God's wrath be that none of us will dispute it. Nobody will say, it's not fair. And chapter 16, verse 8, those um, suffering under God's wrath, they curse God. uh, And in verse 11, they curse God, but they don't say it's not fair. It'll be obvious that the punishment fits the crime. So God's wrath is fair. Secondly, God's wrath is personal. I think we often hear the phrase, God loves the this, loves this sinner, but he hates the sin. It's an old cliche you probably heard. And it is true that God loves sinners. So much so that whilst we were still his enemies, he sent his only son to die for us as an atoning sacrifice. God loves sinners. But let's be clear, God's wrath, and I'll say this as gently as I can, God's wrath is carried out on people. Verse 6, chapter 16, verse 2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The fourth angel poured, in verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. And in verse 10, people gnawed their tongues in agony. God's wrath is upon people who oppose him. The picture isn't one of there being sort of a, an evil force, cloud-like thing, which you may or may not get caught up in to a lesser or greater extent. No, the picture is of individuals being held accountable for their rebellion against God. But God's wrath, like we're seeing, it's never spiteful or random. And the overall picture in the Bible is of God in his mercy giving lots of time and lots of undeserved chances to see how great he is, to see that his wrath is fair and to turn to him in repentance and faith. But even when Jesus was physically present and performing miracles, people refused to believe him. And still at the end, it will always be like that. Even here at the end of time, even as God's wrath is being poured out and there's no course of action in the universe more obvious, more logical, more desirable than to repent and believe in him. In verse eight, they refuse to repent. Verse 10, they refuse to repent of what they've done. If you're not a Christian here today, why not? Ask you if you've looked into Jesus. God gave you an inquiring, reasoning mind, He gave you powerful emotions, He gave you a burning heart, and you should bring all of that to your investigating Jesus. But in the end, I think what you 'll find is that it boils down to a matter of will. Are you willing to give up you being your own God, in charge of your own life? Are you willing to repent of displacing God from his rightful place as your God and let him take the reins? And Christians, if you are a Christian here today, it's our vision for ministry month. And we're thinking about how we can deepen in our knowledge of God's grace and our generous response to that. But if you feel like your growth is stunted as a Christian, or you might even feel like you're going backwards, could it be because there's something you're refusing to repent of? Turn away from it, even today, even this morning. It causes God's wrath to burn. But Jesus has paid a great price to take that wrath for you. Jesus has saved you to keep extending his grace deeper and further, not to keep on the wrath. So we've got a great judge, we've got great wrath, and finally we're given a great warning. So if you cast your mind back again to the seven seals and the seven trumpets, you might remember there's always six things, and then there's an interlude, a pause just before we get to the end to reassure you, to reassure Christians that you're safe and secure in Jesus. You are safe and secure in securing Jesus. You are saved. Clothed in his righteousness. And that's to embolden you, to persevere in faithfulness. So it's the same here with these bowls of wrath. But this time, it's a really short interlude. If you have a look, verse 15, chapter 16. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. And, Luke's gospel records Jesus saying similar thing much earlier in history, like this. Uh, but understand this, if the owner, is talking about a thief coming, understand this, if the owner of a house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he wouldn't have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So Jesus will come like a thief in that he will come unexpectedly. And he warns us not to get caught with our kit off. You know, when I was a student, I spent some pretty bad times living in a, a Victorian uh, nurses' residence. It was awful, and I had this antiquated fire alarm that was always doing lots of false alarms. And when it went off in the middle of the night, we'd all traipse out, and you'd see people in the tatty PJs, you know, no makeup on, hair at ten to two. Everyone avoiding eye contact because no one was ready. No one's ready to be seen. That's the kind of picture Jesus is getting across. Be ready for Jesus' return because you don't know when he's going to return and none of us know when we're going to die and face him. So how should we respond to the reality that God's good wrath will come? Jesus himself tells us, stay awake, be ready. You don't know when it will be too late. Stay awake, as Jesus said to Peter on the night he was arrested. He said, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, this is what Jesus wants us to do with the visions he's given us in Revelation. He doesn't want us to use them to try and work out exactly how the world would end or when it will end. He doesn't want us to fearfully interpret every war or presidential election. He wants us to use these visions to prompt us, showing us some eternal realities to prompt us to keep awake in our faith in him and not be distracted or led astray. He wants us to stay clothed, keep trusting in him, to clothe us in the robes of righteousness, washed clean for you by Jesus' blood. We're all asking ourselves during this Vision for Ministry Month how we can be responding generously to God's generous grace to us. And taking a close look at God's wrath, the punishment our sin deserves, just opens our eyes, doesn't it, to how much God loves us. It opens our eyes to what it is we've been saved from. Being given a glimpse of how much wrath our sins deserve, what what must it have been like for Jesus to take that on himself? Just look how much he must have gone through. How will you respond to that generous grace in acts of generous grace? We're saved from God's wrath and we're saved to finding ways to deepen in God's grace And share God's grace in acts of loving service to one another and the lost, staying clothed in Jesus' righteousness. But what about those who are not ready? What about those who are not trusting in Jesus to save them from God's fair, just, personal wrath? Well, in the interlude, we also see in verses 13 and 14, We've got Satan and his cronies egging on the kings of the world to keep opposing God to gather together for verse sixteen for a battle at Armageddon. Armageddon—it's like a word synonymous with the end of the world, isn't it? Everyone, Hollywood gets it. Most people have heard of it. Um, it's probably a word that's been quite used quite a lot this week with the result of the U.S. presidential election. Uh, and it's supposed to, yeah, synonymous with this battle at the end of the world. There's lots of ink wasted on trying to guess where it is and when it'll happen. But actually in this vision it's a bit of a non-event. and That's because the outcome's never in doubt. It could never really be a true battle because God is God and nothing can stop him dealing once and for all with evil. So in this vision at least, it fast forwards past the battle of Armageddon to the seventh bowl pouring out And then in verses 17 to 21, I won't go into, but it's lots of imagery, especially from Ezekiel, associated with the end of the world and Jesus' return. But the big picture is, as ever, the lamb wins. Jesus wins. So give up battling against God. Give up battling against God because God is good. Give up because all of us know deep down, that we've wronged God and we deserve His wrath. Give up because He loves you. He loves you so much that He took this wrath upon Himself in His Son Jesus so that you don't have to. So, some points of application for us. Well, there's comfort in God's wrath for the suffering Christian here because justice will prevail. Vengeance really does belong to God. He will make things right. There's warning in this for the strained Christian. Just look how seriously God takes sin. Look at his determination to deal with it. Look at what you've been saved from. Keep turning away from acts of rebellion against God. And there's encouragement here for the wavering Christian. God is good. You don't need to worry about his character. He is pure light, he's pure holiness. He's completely opposed to evil, to anything bad. And he's defeated evil. And some other application we're going to do right now. So look in your leaflets, you'll have one of these. Three for three. We've got three inviting opportunities for you over Christmas. And we want you to think, you can give them right now. You can change them later. Take another one. Take two if you want to pray for six people. But if you think right now of three people and put the names here, and want you to do two things. Should have thought of three things. but Two things, three for three. Pray for them. And invite them to one of these things. What's your church. Three for three. And then you'll see on the back as well, whilst you do that, write the names down now. We'll do that now. When you've done that, you'll see on the back, just got three very simple conversation starters. They might just help you get into a good conversation about what you love about Christmas, about carols. The aim is to help you talk about Jesus. I'll just pray for these people now. And they'll finish the sermon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these, all these people who you know individually, you know them better than they know themselves, that are written on these cards. And we pray for opportunities to invite them to Christmas things but most of all, we pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus, and we pray that we thank you that Jesus has died for them to deliver them from wrath. Amen. So God's wrath. So remember Jason, from the top of the sermon, the bloke I used to work with, I used to embarrass me. He was actually a really popular guy around in the hospital. And he actually taught me a great deal of good things as a young radiographer about talking to people, about getting stuff done. Lessons that still help me to this day. And in reality, the problem wasn't with Jason. The problem was with me. Those things about Jason that really embarrassed me were actually really good. God's wrath, his settled, determined opposition sin and evil is good. And God's wrath will cause us to sing. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Amen.
3: Let's continue to pray together. Dearest Lord, our Heavenly Father, great and amazing are your deeds, for you are the Holy One who invites us to be your children and who listens to our prayers. We know we do not deserve your grace and the love you have shown us through Jesus. Yet you, who are the Holy Judge, had mercy on us and have called us with the nations to be in awe of you and to give you our praise. And as we repent, Lord, we confess to you and to each other of our half-hearted efforts, our wrong directions, acknowledging our sins, and thankful for your pardon. We delight in Jesus, our Redeemer and our peace, who has spared us from the wrath of your fury, and we offer our lives for your glory. We thank you for the scriptures that call us to repentance and show us how to live as a redeemed people. Please give us the desire to know your word better each day as we read it for ourselves, with our families and with with each other. Thank you for continuing to bring people to Trinity Bay who desire to follow Jesus and understand the salvation he offers. Please give us the wisdom to be welcoming and the courage to share our lives with each other as together we grow your church. And we warmly welcome Mark and Alicia thankful to you, Lord, for the faith you have given them and their willingness to serve in a new church. And we pray for the schoolies week that is coming up and the green team for the final preparation and the opportunity that they will have to show the love and grace of Jesus. Thank you for this pre-Christmas season, when already... We have our calendars full with events that give us the opportunity to tell the gospel. Please give us boldness to ask others what they make of Christmas as we respond with salt and light, speaking of Jesus. We pray for the preparation and the inviting to gingerbread, carols and the Christmas Eve services. Please help us all to take an active role in partnering together in these events. Help us to intentionally set aside time for people before these events so that we can be a part of their lives as we hand out these invitations. We pray for the mission via ES as the uni students head to the national training event and mission week later this month. Thank you for these young workers in your harvest. And we give you thanks for James, the new staff worker at UniSA in 2017. Father, we pray for the Trinity network of churches as each centre plans for the many opportunities this season brings. And we are thankful that we can proclaim the gospel without persecution. And we do ask that Australia will remain a country where Christmas can be celebrated as the birth of Jesus. With this in mind, we pray for the safety among our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, whose lives and livelihood are at risk because of their faith. We thank you for the certain hope we share in Jesus, but ask for your protection as violence may escalate at this time of year. Please use these times of trial and terror to bring many more to know you. We pray for us at the Bay, for those that are unwell or weary or low in spirit. Please give us the strength that we need to stand firm in Christ knowing our future is safe because of the cross. May we all stay awake, spurring each other on to be dressed in the armour of God. And we thank you for all the saints here who follow your example as we serve each other in getting church ready each week. We set up morning tea, sound, music, training, teaching, minis, mixes, youth, TBE, growth groups and preaching. Refresh us, Lord. In our vision for ministry and our generosity for the sake of the gospel going out. For we labour not in vain, but for your glory, so we can sing with Moses, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. May we keep singing this as we live with our eyes on the Lamb who sits on the throne in heaven till his sure and promised return, in whose name we pray. Amen.